2: When I was a kid, my dad was a cop and we spent five seasons of Loose Units the podcast talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads. So this season, we're going to take a look at hauntings, ghost stories and the crimes behind them, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. The Hawkesbury River is the longest coastal river in New South Wales. It's inspired a generation of artists, it's an incredible place to visit, and it's the subject of this week's episode of The Shadow Files. Because in the early hours of August 11, 1994, a fisherman found something there that changed the history of crime in Australia. Dad, this week we are talking about a case colloquially referred to as the case of the Rack Man. Could you talk us through this from the start? I mean, first of all, you said you didn't actually know about this case. Uh, before I sent it to you. You've encountered some pretty messed up stuff. How does this rate for you? On this morning in the early hours of August in 1994, which is a long time ago now. I mean, I feel very old, but 94 is a long time ago. There was a fisherman traveling along the waters of the Hawkesbury River, which is the location we're focusing on this week in the Shadow Files. And he was a squid fisher, I believe. And generally speaking, when you get a big tug in your net, you probably think you've You've either grabbed some debris or you've got some squid, right? I'm
3: glad you said tug in your net and not tugging in your net.
2: Great. It's always good to get these jokes out of the way first yeah, yeah. before we plough into the dark stuff. So what what did he find on that morning back in 1994? Okay, well, Paul, look, squids generally are fairly small, aren't they? Or yeah, are pretty they? small. No, they're oh, not. I mean... No. What? No, they're a giant squids. Isn't the plural of squid, squid? Is it? Yeah, you don't say squids. true. True.
3: You're right, but Paul, there are what are called giant squid. Okay, and he actually thought that he'd hooked onto a giant squid because it literally stopped the
2: boat in the river in a river, though. Yeah, surely,
3: well, it, it would be unusual. Um, yeah. It'd be a lot of calamari,
2: sure. But I mean, from a from a kind of layman's perspective, from yeah. an idiot's perspective, I didn't realise that you could fish in the Hawkesbury River. Oh. I didn't quite realise how big or significant or fertile this, this body of water actually is. You've been there, obviously, haven't you? Well, Paul, every time you drive north of Sydney,
3: basically towards, well, north of... Just north. <laughs> north of <laughs> okay. north, oh, God. Of course, Of oh, course, if you travel north, you end up back where you started, don't you? Because the world is spherical.
2: Okay, let's not dive into if you followed the curvature of the earth, you'd hit yourself in the back of the head. But Paul, Dad, Have you been to the river or not? Yes,
3: <laughs> Paul, I used to water ski on the river. Really? Yeah, okay. One of my best friends was killed on the river.
2: Oh, uh, God. Well,
3: actually, two friends. One was murdered and one died of a water skiing accident. I'll
2: tell you what, let's save these. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's continue but, along. So, but giant I'm, squid.
3: Yeah, giant squid. So, But they're also some of the best oysters. People will disagree with this probably but some of the great oysters in australia are from that region fishing's sublime i have fished there i used to fish there and you know it's it's known for sharks i i wouldn't recommend swimming in that particular place Mm -hmm. but there's a place called flint and steel which is just a remarkable sort of name of a beach there and so they're trawling and you know you know what trawling is don't you
2: yeah, it's you. You drop the nets and then you sort of just drag them along yeah. the bottom of the okay, fairly okay. slowly,
3: and then all yeah. of a sudden he, you know, he just felt that he had something absolutely massive, and he thought, as I as I alluded to, that he had a giant squid or something, something massive. So they they set the um you know the winches yeah because it's a big weight, and they started to uh, you know bring in the catch so to speak. And I mean, I just, it's just, I don't know what this guy would have thought because he, the water's fairly murky. So he's, and the winches are working really slowly because they don't want to break the nets. Mm. And he's winching, winching, slowly, slowly looking down. And he starts to bring this, obviously the net, but connected to the net is this, this. Object like a steel cross with four crossbars. Okay. But it's what's attached to the cross is terribly gruesome and grim. And when he saw... I mean, do you want me to
2: describe what he saw? Yeah, I think it's worth... Yeah, because look, here's the thing, listeners. We didn't actually know about this case until we came across it because we were trying to look up things that had happened... In and around the Hawkesbury River, and this case was just—I mean, it screamed yeah. at us. It's—it's it's fascinating. Mm. Um, you were in forensics for years mm. in the police force, mm. and you've worked with coroners before. Yeah. I, I shudder to think what it would be like to kind of delve through this. But yeah, could you talk us through in detail what they found okay. that morning? I will, but Paul.
3: Just just prior to me beginning to to do this discussion, it, it remember the the case of the prostitute that was murdered and thrown over the cliff.
2: Yes, so in Electric Blue, you were called to the scene. There was a woman wedged halfway down a kind of precipice mm. and you had to basically belay down and grab Correct. her body. Well, Paul, yep. this, and it's just come to me right now. Yeah.
3: These two incidents <clears throat> are very, very close to each other. And I know that that's not, they're not related. One well, would hope not, but... Um, but it's just an example of this of the area because it's it's remote, it's, it, you know, people can drive there basically unnoticed. No one's going to sort of because it's a main thoroughfare. It's the major sort of highway that basically travels around Australia, the Pacific Highway. Sure. And, okay. You know, it's it's just easy to sort of if you're going to be involved in nefarious um, activities, this is a great place. And wherever you've got water. Um, You know, you have a a way to ostensibly dispose of a body, i.e. two weeks ago, that guy that murdered the seven, possibly eight-year-old girl put her into a barrel. This was up in the Blue Mountains. But what did he do with the body, Paul? He took her to a river. Now, that river, these rivers are all interconnected around Sydney. So the rivers are, are dark places where people believe that they can get rid of People and hopefully never, they hope that they'll never ever be discovered. But on this fateful morning, when this fisherman retrieved his net, he pulled up a cross or a crucifix with four crossbars, and attached to the cross was a human skeleton, and it had been meticulously tied lashed to the post it's so if the if the if the photos and drawings and diagrams that i have seen in my research are correct it's very very interesting the the knots that were used and i mean i i've had a fair bit of time now paul um, over the last few days to, to really give this a lot of thought. And there are so many aspects to this story that are so fascinating. And if I was the lead investigator
2: mm-hmm.
3: in this particular case, I would regard this as a career maker. Uh, it's so, so challenging and fascinating. And it's, I'll tell you what, it stirred up my
2: juices Um, No, if I may say, which I I I just didn't. Talk me through the knots you mentioned, because you obviously, you know, you were very good at knots. Uh, What what was it about them that sort of flagged you as a little bit odd? Um,
3: The they're they're meticulous and they're very thorough. They're designed um, not to not to to come apart. They're designed to to attach a human body to a an object that, that will then be submerged, and that it's so because there are currents. It's tidal, okay? It's a tidal. Could you tell? Rhythm.
2: Could you tell what kind of knots there were based on the photographs?
3: Yeah, I can tell what type. I'm not. I can't name the knots. Um, I'm hoping that they're not just artists' sort of renditions. I'm hope they're hoping that they're accurate because we need as many sort of facts as we can glean but this person was very 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 methodical this this act of tying um is it okay paul if we mention the sex of the person at this stage yeah absolutely well, it was a male mm-hmm. um, and there are ways that they can determine that um, mainly around um you know the pelvic region the women have a different pelvis um Look, this, this is su- such a, a fascinating story. And, oh, God, it's just... It, it, it's so, so... Just think about the person. I would love to have um, seen the, the, the cross because, and they don't talk about this, but I would love to see the quality of the welding because if it's very well welded that narrows the the field down considerably in terms of the you know the person that that was competent i mean did they did they um employ a like a welding shop you know a steel fabrication company to actually produce to to manufacture this one-off sort of device i mean if you went into a manufacturing sort of steel fabrication place
2: probably on the central coast and ask them to make you a gigantic crucifix-like yeah. thing, they'd probably say, hey, what's this for, right? I mean, does it look to you like it was purpose-built for this specific person? Because the, 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 I, I... Yeah, the victim was around about, uh, according to reports, coroner's reports, about 165 centimetres, although it's kind of hard to tell exactly because at this point it was a skeleton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have someone of a specific height and you need to lash them to something... You'd have to purpose-build it, presumably, would yeah, you?
3: Yeah, oh, 100%. It's been purpose-built. Now, was it built by the by the person, the murderer? Mm. Or was it a commissioned work? Um, look, you know, you'd go to this place and you'd sort of... You'd give them the plans. You'd have to have sussed out the size of the potential victim. You probably mm-hmm. would make it bigger, sort of, you know, to fit all sizes. Um, but of course I guess there are a number of questions that one has to ask oneself one of the questions that I ask myself is was the person murdered? now they already know from post-mortem results that the person sustained massive blows to the the, the head, the, the skull, um, determining whether that was the cause of death. You know, they may have been lashed to the crucifix, they may have been bashed, but they may have been conscious as the cross was lowered or thrown or tipped overboard from a boat. The, I mean, I think it's a given that it was... Ultimately, sort of the final stages of this being put into a river was done from a, a vessel of some type. It's very, very bizarre and crazy to think that, you know, person or persons would have carried this object out into the water. However, mm, go on. this does then open up a Pandora's box, Paul, in relation to a satanic ritual.
2: Yeah, now there was a lot of kind of hysteria in the 90s, 80s and 90s around satanic stuff. It felt like a bit of a moral panic uh, more than... I mean, I don't seem to recall there being much legitimacy around this stuff being an actual ritual. I feel like if this was an actual ritual, it probably would have been a more traditional cross and not something that had those extra, you know, kind of beams. Um, I mean, that's just my... Mm. Opinion, because it feels to me, look, it's being called across. Really, it feels more like a steel frame because when they found it, um, just northwest of Sydney, and I'm reading this from a dispatch about four or five years old that morning as they lifted a net they discovered it was caught on a rope anchored by a steel frame as they struggled to lift the net they discovered something more troubling than dumped wreckage the boat's captain mark peterson recalled to press at the time as i pulled it in i saw there were plastic bags tied to it and then i saw a bone sticking out of the bags a body wrapped in plastic was tied to a steel framed crucifix wires and ropes around the torso wrists and neck bound the remains to the cross Scientist at the Institute of Forensic Medicine in Glebe. Now, it's back in nineteen ninety four. Um, so at that point is that the Glebe Morgue? Is that Correct. what they're talking yeah. about? Yep. Yeah. Interesting. So people that you may have worked with oh, 100%. would have done this. Yeah. Estimated the body had been submerged for somewhere between six and twelve months. Now, what can happen to a body in you know, because it's a it's a river. Now river water I think is a bit like temperature-wise, like bacteria-wise, what's happening under there?
3: <clears throat> well, as I said, it, it, it is tidal, Paul, which right. means it has access to the to the ocean, i.e., salt water, yeah. and the water at that point would be relatively salty, but also slightly brackish. So it would, would have a you know a combination of fresh water coming down from, um, you know, the Blue Mountains, mm-hmm. and the fact that parts or the whole body was wrapped in plastic is really really important because. That would, I mean, I I would have to be at the scene and see all the photographs. We would need to determine whether or not any creatures at all gained access to the the human flesh. Uh, And then, you know, you can imagine being a a small fish, if you can, uh, and coming across basically a feast that would last you for a long time.
2: Yeah, it's not exactly got that kind of Pixar family friendly flavor, but yes, I
3: understand. So, um, but I have worked with numerous, mm. and I mean, countless. Uh, we used to call them floaters. Uh, some people, if they find a turd in the ocean, they call ladder floater, uh, but we used to call people that had been out in the ocean. Um, Remember there used to be a lot of bodies, I don't know whether I, I'm sure I've discussed this with you, Paul, that there were quite a few people that they believed, like we could just never, ever identify some of these people. And you'd get these people at the morgue. Generally on Wednesdays, I used to go there because I used to volunteer to, that was sort of one of the high points of my career in fingerprints. I used to volunteer to try and identify unidentifiable humans. Yes. And we would have tattooed, People And I'm not sort of generalising because I know that a lot of people have got tattoos today and it's pretty cool. And, you know, but but, but back in the 80s, tattoos were generally regarded as belonging to certain groups within society, i.e., and I'm generalising, but, hey, it's true. Sailors, bikies, um, you know, people on, on the, the fringes, aside from, of course, sailors... Um, but if you and you know if you came across a, a body with numerous tattoos, there was an assumption and a pretty good one that the person may have a criminal record. But time after time at the at the morgue at Glebe, I would be identifying people that had been in the water for a long time, and you'd think, hang on, they have to be known, but they were unknown. And the theory was that these were people thrown off uh, boats, uh, you know, ships, international ships because there's a lot of sort of nefarious gambling, etc. And how to deal with someone on a ship, you just toss them overboard. So I'm very familiar. So, you know, if the skin, the epidermis, um, which there probably wasn't much left, it had become sort of like jelly. Um, Not the best analogy, but that's kind of... Very, very difficult to get a fingerprint. Um, And then, of course, you've got teeth, etc. And... You know, the DNA, if you've got skin, but I, I it's possible if the bags tore open that sea creatures, you know, mollusks and particularly crabs, they'd all just come in and devour. And they just go hard. And eventually they'd make their way inside the body by going down well, one way they, they did it because I've been involved in post where so they actually slice the person open and you've got sea creatures inside the body. Yeah. Having a having a party.
2: Gross, going, okay. But- going
3: hard. But, um, so, look, in terms of... that they're, they're saying 6 to 12 months. That's an awful long time. Think about, um, everyone, if you spend an hour in a bath, have a look at your skin. It's pretty fucking wrinkly, isn't it? So, imagine sort of being in the water for, say, 24 hours, a week, a month, a year. You're pretty fucked. So... Yeah, there's not a lot to go on.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: So long story short, you know, after the amount of time that it was there for, the body would really be... uh, Gelatinous at at best. Well, yeah, so the water would basically strip it. So at this point, you've got a skeleton strapped to a crucifix... Mm. Uh, The body was, yeah, 160 to 166 centimetres tall. And in terms of vagaries, I mean, if you are in forensics, Dad, and you've got a skeleton, it must be really hard to kind of pinpoint specifics. But they came up with, aged between 21 and 46. Mm. That's not super helpful, especially given that there were no missing persons reports that matched these details, and police had bugger all to go on. Mm. So it, it feels like... Because I've seen a facial reconstruction of the person. Um, we've got a list here of what they had on them at the time. Mm, um, mm. The person, we know it was a man. He had nothing on him except for a packet of cigarettes and a lighter. His clothing um, was, according to this, unmarked and mass-produced and everything Australia polo shirt and no sweat track pants, both size medium. And I think back in 94, there wasn't really much DNA testing, was there? No, no but Paul, here's something about the, the cigarette packet. Yes. Um
3: if you're a murderer, and you're really, really switched on, assuming it's a murder, um, why not just put a packet of cigarettes and a cigarette lighter on the person, just to, to throw off the scent? Really? Why not? So immediately everyone thinks, oh, he's a smoker. No, he might not be. Right. See? Tiny things like that. Might appear to be silly, irrelevant, um, sort of not... With much substance, but they're the sort of things. If I was going to commit the perfect crime, mm-hmm. you can do lots and lots of things um, to throw people off the scent. Okay, okay. so okay. I think that's good. But also, look, Paul. I think we need to just have a, a little bit of thought about the crucifix. I've done a bit of research on crucifixes. Uh, the listeners might be interested to know that there are there are so many combinations of crucifixes. It's actually mind-blowing, and I have found three crucifixes that are not dissimilar. Now, one of them is called the Cross of Lorraine, and it's got one vertical and two horizontal horizontal bars, which is quite interesting. But then you go to one that's really, really, oh God, this is so freaky, Paul. It's got three cross bars. Are you ready for this? It's called the Cross of Salem. How's that? And let me just look through that? Up. They use that in Salem to tie witches down. But the weird thing and the slightly creepy thing is that it's also called the Pontifical Cross because it's carried before the Pope.
2: I, I can see and, it. Yeah. And it's okay.
3: incredible. And then there's the Maronite Cross, which has got, I mean, it's not unreasonable to think, Paul. And we all know that truth is stranger than fiction, so you can throw anything into the mix in our Mm podcast because we know Mm -hmm. with true crime that things you can't imagine do happen. So what what's to say that there wasn't a a and, and still is and and who knows? Even today there could be, you know, satanic groups and they had a ritual down on the beach and then they carried the person tied to this object
2: out into the water and they
3: fuck mate anything's possible
2: okay so if there's evidence suggesting that the crucifix was actually custom built for this guy because it kind of matched his dimensions or whatever right then I mean what else do we know because I know there was a reward uh, offered for information on him but no one ever came forward mm. and I mean, what happens next? Okay, well, right?
3: Yeah. Look, Paul. Um, they know that the guy. They've identified the guy, haven't they?
2: They've only just identified yes. the guy. Yep.
3: and he was he was so- a, a professional gambler, and he had withdrawn around about three and a half thousand dollars cash, which is it's not a huge amount of money. Um, his his wife. He lived in Newtown. His wife actually reported him missing to the police. She waited a little while because she said that it wasn't out of character for him to Mm -hmm. be, you know, sort of out of contact for 24, 48 hours. She knew that he was driving north out of Sydney, which takes him right to that area, within minutes of that area. He was travelling to Queensland to you know to gamble and but that's not that's not kind of nah that's not if he left sydney there's no way that he would have just met up with someone then they would have had to have killed the person constructed the cross or the the, the metal framework or had they done that prior too but whichever way you look at this particular sort of story we're dealing with it is premeditated so um, let's say it's
2: gamble- let's say it's gambling debts right yeah. let's say you run a casino a guy's got really chronic gambling debts and you want to kind of punish him slash send a message so you go to a mate's like factory. He's a welder, and you get him to bang up some beams or whatever. Because I'm looking at this picture from a newspaper clipping, um, which was released around the time the remains were found. And I can't tell what paper this is in. From it's by police reporter Les Kennedy. It's got a diagram of the actual apparatus, um, and I'm looking at this frame, and it doesn't look anything like a crucifix to me because the problem is with the um what did you call that cross before it was the um the the cross of salem yeah the cross of salem has three beams right and the middle one is larger which means it actually bears a resemblance to a crucifix this is a long beam with four welded steel bars kind of down the central rod at intervals Mm. so that so that the man's ankles knees Elbows and neck can be fastened to it. This looks like someone who wanted to, I would say, get rid of a body. Um, mm. if, it, if it was dumped where it was found, it's in about seven meters that's uh, deep. of water. That's,
3: that's more than 20 feet.
2: Uh, that was not meant to be found. That was not. No. So it's clearly not been put there to kind of, you know, send a message to, to errant debt owers or anything. Mm. Um, but also it doesn't seem to have the kind of visual flair of someone trying to do something satanic because every time I hear about a satanic killing, it's very showy. This feels practical to me. Mm. Paul,
3: I would I come back to the engineering aspect of this particular story. I would like to know, A, whether it's a stainless steel, uh, mm-hmm. constru- of, you know, of stainless steel construction, or is it mild steel? Mild steel will, will just completely, ultimately rust away stainless steel it'll take a hell of a long time but if you are welding stainless steel it requires a very high degree of expertise it's not your 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 amateur guy that goes down to the local hardware store hires or buys a welding sort of you know machine and just starts welding stainless steel that's stainless steel welding is is very very um technically challenging i would love to see Uh, Because of my engineering background, I could have a look at the welds, and that would tell us so much about the construction of this thing. If it was just crap welding of mild steel, basically, Paul, you could do it with about 15 minutes instruction, okay? I could teach you how to weld in 15 minutes. But if it's stainless steel and it's really good welding, you're talking at least someone with five years' experience, okay? Okay? Which, okay. which indicates that, you know, was it a guy that was really, really good at welding, assuming it was well welded? And that, it just narrows things down. To me, it, it kind of... I, I just don't know whether the police pursued all the engineering, um, you know, aspects of this particular story. If I was investigating this case, I would be very, very focused on the methodology of the knot tying. Remember that guy that was uh, found at the bottom of the Hawkesbury River, same river, and he mm-hmm. was hogtied with what they what turned out to be fire brigade rope. Remember that story? Yes. Now, you know, if it's a fiery or a sailor or a police rescue operator that is committing a particular crime and they're, and they're tying a human being up, they're going to use, they know what knots to use. So there's the knots, there's the type of rope, where do they get the rope, there's the construction, which is fascinating. Really interesting, because these this steel would have all been cut to size. You've got three or four bars, or five bars including the down bar. They're they're all you know, it's it's these this steel has to be cut. And you don't do that with a freaking hacksaw. It's it, this is all kind of it's bizarre. And it would have serious weight. So so, in my opinion, it's not a one-man job. Okay, it's more than one person. And if it's yep. if it's gang-related, I mean, you just mate. It's there's so much to this. It's so it opens a Pandora's box, and 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 it's it's exciting and bloody marvellous, and it's unsolved.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was weird because he's been sitting there. He was sitting there for you know over two decades. In Glebe Morgue, where you worked and where you encountered all kinds of remains, uh, he was known as Unknown Human Remains E48293. Mm. Rackman's not the actual name, but they did some facial reconstructions using the remains. And then in 2018, back in August, um, the New South Wales Deputy State Coroner uh, announced that, and this is the interesting part for me is that this guy was 37 when he died and he was a known gambler. Like you said, his name was Max Tankevsky and uh, he was last seen again, like you said, leaving his house in Newtown. His partner saw him. This is back 11th of January, 1993 was the last time he was seen. And as you said, he had up, you know, he'd head up to the Gold Coast on gambling sprees. So when he didn't rock up people, I think just assumed that he was still out partying or whatever, but then people started to worry about him. Um, It says here, Tankevsky was known to carry some debt due to this gambling addiction, but an exact sum of his debts are unknown. Just before he disappeared, he withdrew 1,800 AUD, approximately 3,300 nowadays. That doesn't seem like, you know, by itself doesn't seem like enough money. That's probably how much the fucking frame cost to build, Mm. honestly. Mm. So we know who he is. We know when he was last seen. We know that he was a gambler and we know that he was found... You know, like six months to a year after he was dumped, the body was basically a skeleton. You know, there's all these details here. Crime Stoppers is is still looking for any information as to, you know, whether he was alive at the time, whether he was tortured. We don't have the autopsy report, nor should we, so we don't know any more about kind of, you know, marks found on his body. I mean, I guess you wouldn't find any unless there were very deep cuts, right? Mm. Unless there were marks that actually went all the way down to the bone, which seems... Unlikely.
3: Imagine, Paul, here houses for a theory. Um, mm. He's been tortured. Um, he's been taken out by boat. Minimum two people, but you know, maybe three or four people involved at mm-hmm. the scene. And he's still alive. And they lower him because they're using a, a device, I imagine. Or they could have manhandled him off the side of the boat and just to- tossed him in. But imagine uh, in your worst case nightmare that he's he's alive and he's basically at the back of the boat. They've they've got it because they'd they'd be 100% doing it at night time. They might have the sort of a torch or something just shining on his face. But just imagine if he's alive and uh, they lower him slowly. I mean, imagine being strapped to something like that, being lowered into the water, the fear, the terror, the... I was trying to imagine the the last minutes of holding your breath and and then violently sort of trying to set yourself free but you're anchored at so many points and then down 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 you go and then it sort of lands feet his feet sort of hit the bottom and then the thing sort of slowly and it weighs a lot and it just tips over and then the and there are rocks at the bottom of the river and that that's what cracks his skull not not a a violent blow while he was alive, like, you know, above water.
2: You think he sank too fast and maybe This thing upended. would go down
3: like a, mate, just have a look at a brick. Go, get a, okay, jump into a swimming pool and, and look underwater and get get Tegan to drop a marble from the top. These things don't just f- sort of flutter down. Mm. They drop fast. Yeah, okay. And uh, who's to say? You know, that's conjecture that he sustained a wound. They, they know there was a, you know, a, a massive wound to the skull, but that, you know, what's to say my theory is not right? That he was... He. I mean, if they're torturing someone... Um, look, see, there are so many ways you can get rid of a person. To me, this seems so over the top. Yes, it I would like does. to think in a not a perverse way, but in a you know, taking into consideration as all the listeners listening will be thinking their own theories and I'm sure, you know, I'd love to hear some some of your theories. Um my feeling based on all the information I I don't think it's satanic. I think it's a um I think the guy was was murdered by drowning and i think the people that did it they thought long and hard about this and they thought how can we absolutely do something so terrible and sadistic and just think about these people that have actually committed this crime Mm. these people are more than likely living somewhere today they are doing something as we speak
2: maybe listening to the show
3: yeah maybe listening to the show they may be having a coffee they could be you know, they could have dropped their kids off at school this morning. They could have a grandkid on their knee. Look, there are just so many scenarios. It's 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 a mind boggling case. It's fascinating, but I do believe that that the people that did this, um, I think they've gone to so much trouble uh, to get rid of the body. But I think a lot of that is based around lowering a living human into the water. That's my okay. my theory.
2: Okay. That is incredibly incredibly disturbing, but how is that any different to any of the other stuff we talk about on this show? Part of the reason listeners and that's I mean that's that's all we're going to be talking about this case unless someone brings us some new information, but the reason we started talking about this is because we were drawn to the Hawke'sbury River. We were looking for apparently, you know, haunted locations. And we came across a place called Pete Island. Which uh, housed a or houses a lunatic asylum, and that's you know that's not what it's actually called. Um, a you know kind of like a one floor of the cuckoo's nest style facility is on a small island on the Hawkesbury River. It was established back in 1911. And then was reopened as a psychiatric hospital. Apparently, it's 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 just full of these terrifying stories. But, you know, it's on the Hawkesbury River. So we started looking into other things that happened on the Hawkesbury River. And this case of the Rackman, as he was called, kind of flagged us. So next week, we're going to return to the Hawkesbury River. We're going to talk about a bunch of stuff that's happened to Dad throughout his career. We're going to look at Pete Island. It's going to be an absolutely packed episode. If you... Have any stories involving terrible crimes that happened in, on, or around the Hawkesbury River in New South Wales? Or any stories that you think we ought to know about? Or any other haunted locations? Or just crime stuff you want to flag with us? Head across to facebook.com forward slash looseunits. Man, that was an intense episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And Paul, I think
3: it's very important, and I'll just share something with you that I've never told you before, and that is that your grandfather, my dad who passed away during COVID, he was studying psychology at uh, the University of New South Wales. I'll never, ever forget that we were driving past Pete Island uh, on our way to Newcastle. Dad uh, said to the family, he said that he had visited there as part of his Uh, training at university psychology training and for years i pressed my father about what he'd seen there and he would never ever talk about it and now this is unearthed something and i've started to do the research i've always known it was there and leading psychiatrists have described it as the real version of one flew over the cuckoo's nest And it is fucked up.
2: All right, we'll talk about that next week. I think it's definitely worth diving into because, God, this this river is just riddled with terror. So next week, we return to the Hawkesbury River. Later this week, loose ends. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and we will see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.